Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. In today's episode, we are continuing our discussion on some of the symbolism and mythology of the constellations with a discussion on the sign of Capricorn. Capricorn is the tenth sign of the zodiac and is represented by the symbol of the goat. The goat is interesting symbolically, as if we think about it, goats are you know very hardy animals, often found in you know mountainous terrain, um, very hardy, very strong, and also slightly stubborn sometimes. The sign of Capricorn traditionally had a strong connection with the winter solstice as at noon on the day of the solstice the sun was directly over the head. This latitude is what is known as the Tropic of Capricorn because 2,500 years ago the sun would have been in Capricorn on that day. This still remains to this day despite the fact that due to the procession of the equinoxes the solstice now sits within Sagittarius. Some key dates relating to Capricorn, so the solar conjunctions. Astrological is January the 20th to February the 16th. The Rashis, Sidereal, January the 15th to February the 12th. Tropical is December the 22nd to January the 20th. It's the house of Saturn and the element of Earth. Some of the attributes of Capricorn are practicality, hard work, restriction to a certain amount of time, and also kind of grounding energy as well. Colours that would be relevant to this particular sign would be blacks, dark browns, greys, so very similar to the Saturn. And incenses would be asafoetida, benzoin, storax, anything kind of earthy, musky. The angel of Capricorn is Hanael, who um, we'll discuss in another episode. The symbolism of the goat is, as we've mentioned, very important to this particular sign. And although the constellation is represented by a goat now, in ancient times, Capricorn was often depicted as being part goat and part fish with its front half the goat and its back half the fish, and was also called the sea goat. And there's a really interesting picture of this, uh, depiction of this carved onto Chartres Cathedral on the north porch, where you'll see the sign of Capricorn with the body of a fish and the head of a goat. Sea goats were considered to be very important in the Babylonian religion, and they had a great god named Ea, who was meant to have brought learning and religion to the people of Mesopotamia. Farmlands and agricultural fields of Mesopotamia would have been irrigated from flooding of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, and because of this people believed that there was an ocean of fresh water underneath the earth where a god called Ea lived. Each day it was believed he came out of the underground sea to provide wisdom and knowledge, and then in the night he returned there. 
Capricorn is also known as Neptune Proles or Neptune's offspring. Pelagi, the ocean storm, and also Imbrifa, the rain-bringing one. And these titles also originate to this time when the winter solstice would have been in Capricorn. And the solstice marked this season of rain, of storms, and you know, quite sort of dark weather. In ancient Greece, Capricorn was represented Almathea, who is the divine goat who suckles the child Zeus. And when the sun entered Capricorn, Zeus was meant to have been suckled by Almathea, the sun. Zeus triumph over darkness, and as he as he kind of emerges from the sun, grows in warmth and strength. So Zeus was meant to have turned one of the goat's horns into cornucopia, the horn of plenty, which was always filled with whatever its possessor needs. And Capricorn word itself comes from the word cornucopia. Almathea is interesting. Um, she's a goddess who's sometimes represented as a goat who suckles the infant god Zeus in a cave in the Cretan Mount, which was the goat mountain. And Hesiod um, discussed this in his Theogony, um, where he talks about Kronos um, swallowing all of his children immediately after birth. The mother goddess Rhea, who's Zeus's mother, deceives her brother consort Cronus by giving him stone wrapped to look like a baby instead of Zeus. And she gives the real infant Zeus to Almathea to keep safe in the cave in Crete. And the story basically tells us that in order that Cronus should not hear the wailing of the infant Almathea, um, around the cave a group of Karutes or Corybantus would dance, shouts, and clash their spears against their shields. And to reward her for her service, Zeus is meant to have placed her in the stars to become the protective goddess. And this is mentioned in lots of different texts. Um, in Antoninus Liberalis Metamorphosis, who was a Greek mythographer from the second century, he writes, When Rhea, fearing Kronos, hid Zeus in the Cretan cave, a goat, Almathea, offered her udder and gave him nourishment. By the will of Rhea, a golden dog guarded the goat. After Zeus drove out the titans and deprived Cronus of power, he changed the goat into an immortal. There is a representation of her among the stars to this day. He ordered the golden dog to guard this sacred spot in Crete. Also, Ovid talks about this um, as well um, when he says the following. On the first night I can see the star that serviced Jupiter's cradle. The rainy sign of Olenian, Capella, is born. Heaven is her award for giving milk. Naid Amalthea, famous on Cretan Ida, hidden Jupiter. It is said in the forest, she possessed the lovely mother of two young goats. A glorious sight among Dicte's flock. With soaring horns curled around her back, and an udder suitable for the nurse of Jupiter. She gave the god milk, but snapped her horn on a tree, and was severed from half her loveliness. The nympha picked the horn up, ringed it with fresh herbs, and took it fruit-filled to Jupiter's lips. When he controlled the sky and sat on his father's throne, and nothing surpasses unconquered Jove, he made stars of the nurse, and the nurse's fruitful horn, which bears even now its mistress's name.
symbolism and imagery of Capricorn has also um, always been associated with death and the house of Saturn which is obviously connected with uh, the image of the Grim Reaper and is also meant to be one of the gates of the gods through which the souls of the dead ascended to heaven. So if we remember from our episode on cancer the gate of birth is meant to be in the sign of cancer and then the gate of death is in Capricorn. Some other interesting facts about this sign as well. Capricorn was known as Vestaecidus or the domicile of Vesta. Vesta was the goddess of home and hearth in Roman mythology and this very much fits nicely with the with the planet of Saturn with Bina which is very much about stability the earth um, and you know looking after the earth the stability of the home um, but also to a certain extent this kind of restriction and drawing in and protection Vesta was the virgin goddess of the hearth um, as I said in the home in, in Roman religion and is often depicted by the fire of her temple rather than pictorially so it's this idea of the hearth fire the path of the hearth fire according to um, you know mythographers and things like that from the time entry to the temple of Vesta would have only been permitted to her priestesses who were known as the Vestals and they guarded the sacred fire at the hearth in her temple as she was considered to be a sort of guardian of the Roman people. Other interesting things about Capricorn, um, it's also associated with the mansion of the kings because Roman emperors Augustine and Vespasian were born under this sign. And by the time of the Greeks and the Romans, Capricorn had been become associated with the Greek god Pan. As we mentioned before, Capricorn is very much linked with goats and so you can see this connection with the, the goat-footed god Pan or Agapan. When the gods are meant to have fled from the monster Typhon, they disguise themselves in animal form and Pan is meant to have assumed the form of a fish-tailed goat. There's lots of stories about Pan. Um, one of the interesting ones is when he is meant to have fled Egypt, fled to Egypt, sorry, from this monstrous typhon and he hides in the River Nile and he's half submerged before deciding to change into this goat form. But only from the waist up. Below that he takes the form of a fish. And if we read Pseudo-Hygienus, Fabulae 196, he discusses this. When the gods in Egypt feared the monster Typhon, Pan bade them transform themselves into wild beasts, the more easily to deceive him. Jove later killed him with a thunderbolt. By the will of the gods, since by his warning, they had avoided Typhon's violence. Pan was put among the number of the stars, since at that time he had changed himself into a goat. He was called Agoxerus, we call him Capricorn. Pseudo-Hygienus also uh, talks about this in his Astronomica. I quote, Capricorn or sea goat, this sign resembles Agapan, whom Jupiter wished to be put among the constellations because he was nourished with him. Just as he put the goat nurse we've mentioned before, he first, as Eratosthenes, 
says, when Jupiter attacked the Titans, is said to have cast into the enemy the fear that is called Panikos. The lower part of his body has fish formation because he hurled shellfish against the enemy. Two, instead of stones. Egyptian priests and some poets say that once when many gods had assembled in Egypt, suddenly Typhon, an exceedingly fierce monster and deadly enemy of the gods, came to that place. Terrified by him, they changed their shapes into other forms. Mercurius became an ibis. Apollo, the bird that is called Thracian. Diana, a cat. For this reason, the Egyptians do not permit these creatures to be injured, because they are representations of gods. At this same time, they say Pan cast himself into the river, making the lower part of his body a fish, and the rest a goat, and thus escaped from Typhon. Jove, admiring his shrewdness, put his likeness among the constellations. In many traditions, Capricorn is, is just a goat. Um, in Germany, it became known as a Steinbock, which means a stonebuck or an ibex. Anglo-Saxons saw it as being this horn. Um, and also in China, they, they kind of think of it as being an ox. Um, there's meant to be an interesting prophecy concerning this sign that was written by the Babylonian astrologer Sargon in 3850, who said that the world would be destroyed by a great conflagration when all the planets would meet in Capricorn. Um, according to experts, this would not be visible because it, it would appear in daylight, it would occur in daylight when the sun is in Capricorn along with the new moon. Um, Interestingly though, however, this conjunction has actually occurred in China during the year 1449 BC, according to the French astronomer Famarion. It also happened in January in 1991 when there was a grand conjunction of six planets that met in Capricorn that included Venus, Jupiter and Pluto. And yeah, the world didn't end basically, but... It was interesting because there was quite a lot of uh, you know important stuff that happened on that, and that's when the the first Gulf War started. So, yeah, we'll see. Some magical aspects of Capricorn. So when the sun enters Capricorn, you know it's considered to be a very special time for it's the beginning of the returning of the light. The winter solstice and the darkest time of the year has passed. And we can now begin to look forward to the return of light of spring and the gradual lengthening of the days once again. And although um, winter and Christmas or Yule is traditionally a time of celebration, the period right after that time is often associated with fasting, austerity. You know, we've spent too much money over Christmas and the holidays and we need to kind of take stock of what we have and then also save for the final push through the remaining days of winter. So this is an energy and a time of planning, a time of scheduling, and choosing carefully what we want for the year. So obviously New Year's resolutions are very important. Capricorn is, is very much energy focused around planning details, putting into place lists and organising, putting things into the right boxes. Um, and also once the plan is in place, you know, not changing it, sticking to it. So having that energy and that willpower to stick to the plan. 
And this idea fits very well with the idea of the planetary rule of this constellation, which is Saturn, which is all about you know, grounding, protection, focus, rites of passage, but also death and sacrifice. Um, Saturn is that energy that kind of binds us and restricts us to a certain point, but it also gives us safety um, and it gives us that element of practicality and material as well. So focusing on our material selves, our body, our finances, etc. Making sure that all those things are there and in place. So therefore, you know, Saturn and the Earth, you know, they're very good energies to work with. They help us to create goals, but also work to goals and keep us in check, keep us grounded. And this is very important as magicians. Remember the maxim, as above, so below. It's very much about not just focusing on the kind of spiritual development but also making sure that your material life is in order, you know. So looking at the finances, looking at, you know, where you want to be in five years' time, for instance. Do you want to purchase a house? Do you want to have a better job? What skills do you need to achieve that? That's all very much part of this. And you need that Saturn influence to actually stay the course because it's very easy to have these high-flying goals and aspirations um, but unless you do the work, unless you actually put a concrete plan into place, you know, nothing will ever materialise. So, And that's where the hard work, the hard graft of the energies of Capricorn and also Saturn really come into their own. That's all we've got time for today, but I wanted to finish this episode with a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley, which is known as the Hymn to Pan. From the forest and highlands we come, we come, from the river-girt islands where loud waves are dumb. Listen to my sweet pipings, the wind in the reeds and the rushes, the bees on the bells of time, the birds on the myrtle bushes, the cicada above in the lime, and the lizards below in the grass were as silent as ever old Timaeus was, listening to my sweet pipings. Liquid Peneus was flowing, and all dark temper lay, in Pelion's shadow outgrowing, the light of the dying day. Speeded by my sweet pipings, the Selini and Sylvans and Fauns, and the nymphs of the woods and the waves to the edge of the moist river lawns, and the brink of the dewy caves, and all that did attend and follow, were silent with love, as you now, Apollo, with envy of my sweet pipings. I sang of the dancing stars, I sang of the diadal earth, and of heaven and the giant wars, and love and death and birth. And then I changed my pipings, singing how down the vale of Manelaus I pursued a maiden and clasped a reed. Gods and men, we are all deluded thus. It breaks in our bosom and then we bleed. All wept, as I think both ye now would, If envy or age had not frozen your blood At the sorrow of my sweet pipings. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Upper London Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at upperlondon.co.uk. Thanks.
good night.